Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. God is moving. And the Lord has reminded me of, of some things that, that you are familiar with that we've, been talk, that we've talked about, but we need to stir ourselves up in some more. Amen. Go with me to Acts chapter 3. I want to open with this passage, and then we're going to look at some others that we haven't talked about in a while. Acts chapter 3, Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, I pointed out to you, I think uh, at some point, that the word that's translated refreshing there, uh, in, in the, it's actually, this is the only place this word, this Greek word, is used in the New Testament. It's only used one time. But it comes from a root word, and the meaning of the root word is a cooling. A cooling. And uh, Greek authorities that I've read, they tell me that what it has reference to, what it actually is referring to, is is the is the refreshing that comes from from a cool breeze or a cool drink of water. You know, whenever you are uh, tired and you're and you're uh, uh, distressed and and, and uh, you you know you, your energy is low. Because you've been pressing in. Imagine yourself out in the yard, you know, on a hot summer day, you know, just working and you, and you get sort of dehydrated and you feel that, that uh, weakness come on you. This word refers to something that would bring a cooling into your life. And you know, you know, if you sit down in the shade for just a few minutes and a nice breeze begins to blow, how refreshing it feels. Isn't that right? And you, and you draw a nice cold glass of water and you drink it and it just, you can feel it going down, you know, in your body and it, and it just, it just refreshes you. Well, that's what this word it actually means. And they say by extension, then it means a reviving. And you know how when, when that happens to you, it, it sort of revives you. You're feeling all beat down and tired and you feel like you just can't go, but then you get some refreshing and it revives you. Amen? So a lot of translations of the New Testament render this passage so that times of revival... Times of revival may come from the presence of the Lord. Or another translation says seasons of revival. Notice times, seasons, plural. This tells us that the Lord has planned for us because they come from the presence of the Lord. That the Lord has planned for us and has made available to us seasons or times of refreshing or times of revival. God ordains times of revival. It's God's idea. Why does God send times or seasons of revival? Well, he knows we need them. That's why. Because you see, in the time in which we live. Now, this tells us that times of revival and seasons of revival, these recurring times will continue from the presence of the Lord right up until the time Jesus returns. Notice, times of revival may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ 
who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Notice that in association or in connection with times of revival, there are times of restoration. God has ordained times of revival and times of restoration. These two things go together. Well, why does he do that? He does that because he knows we need reviving. He sends times of revival because we need it. Listen, in the day in which we're living now, right now, we are living in a time of trouble. Now, it's not nearly as bad as the trouble that the earth will experience after the church is taken out of here. But the apostle Paul speaking to the church, he said the spirit says expressly that times of trouble, times of distress, difficult trying times will come. Well, we're living in one of those times. Are you out there today? We're living in those times right now. And so because of that, God sends times of revival and a time of refreshing to help us to, to uh, restore momentum, to, to pick us up, to re-energize us, to revisit us, to, to inspire us. Listen, we must have revival. Amen. We have to have it. God knows what he's doing. And, and, and we're conscious of that. We're conscious of the fact that in these last days, we need visitations from God. We need God to especially move. Now, this tells me that there are times when God visits his people that uh, in, in ways that are beyond the ordinary. In other words, in, in a greater degree than we normally experience his presence, he visits and revives. If, if it wasn't something that was different and, and greater than, it wouldn't be a revival. Isn't that right? I mean, there'd be no revival if, if, if it wasn't God visiting us in a greater way. Now, we don't, it's not that God changes or that he withholds anything from us, but we know the church drifts. I said the church, not to say you drift. You can ask your spouse whether you do or not. But ask your best friend whether you backslide or not. I don't know. But I, so I'm not, I'm not accusing you. But I'm saying the church drifts. The church tends to backslide. It, God told Israel, he said, you are bent on backsliding. You do always, that's what the Lord said. He said, you do always backslide. Well, you know, the church is in the same condition a lot of times. Amen. Because we drift away from things. We drift away from certain experiences. We drift away from certain truths. We get caught up in, in our times in which we live. And, and the enemy, you know, is always wanting to water down the message. He's always wanting to dilute what goes on among us. He's always wanting to dilute our, our understanding of the scriptures. And so, so he begins to work, you know, among leaders of the church. They begin to compromise. They begin to, to just not stress things like they used to. Yes. Amen. Amen. Things that, that God did to establish and to revive the church in times past, over time, people drift away from those things because they think, well, you know, that's a little extreme. We don't really need to be focusing on that on, uh, anymore. And that's how the church backslides. Amen. 
Yeah, I, I've, I've told you before that, you know, I come from a, from a, a classical Pentecostal denomination. And I've told you all about my grandparents and my parents and the, and the generations that went before me. You know, I'm a third generation Pentecostal. And the movement of the, the Pentecostal movement that was birthed in uh, mass for the first time in, in many centuries began at the turn of the 20th centuries in the early days of the 1900s. And, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God's power and glory fell. People were being filled with the Holy Spirit, healings of every kind of thing you could imagine. As a matter of fact, I prayed with somebody this past Sunday. There was a visitor here, and, and I prayed with someone that, that was on her heart that, that had third, they were in their, uh, uh, what do you call it, cancer, stage three cancer. She told me this morning, they went back, she went back to the doctor, and they were going to admit her in the hospital, and they checked her out, and they can't find any cancer. Hallelujah, it's gone. Woo, hallelujah. Well, those things were commonplace. They were commonplace in the early days. I have a, 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 a compilation of writings from the Azusa Street Revival that somebody published a number of years ago. And, and every week or every month, I don't know how often they published them, but they're all listed in order, the papers that went out. And I'm telling you, they're full of healing testimonies. People being filled with the Spirit. People being healed. The glory of God fall. Miracles, signs, and wonders. But you know, if you go to most Pentecostal churches today, most classical Pentecostal denomination churches today, less than half, far less than half of the congregation has ever spoken in other tongues. What happens? They drift. They move. Well, uh, God wants to restore everything he's, all, he, he's done before. It says that there will be a restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now, if you go back to verse 20, or excuse me, to verse uh, 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So when it's talking about all things that the prophets have spoken since the world began, he's talking about all the things concerning Christ. The, the coming of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, everything connection, connected with Christ. Well, how many, how many of you know there can't, be a resur- there can't be a restoration of everything spoken about the Christ without it affecting the church? Because we are the body of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. God is wanting to restore everything that's been spoken concerning the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's going to do it, he's going to do it in the church. That's where it's going to be restored. It's not going to be restored down the street somewhere. It's going to be restored among God's people, the body of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I tell you what, we need restoration. We, we need this, this, this revival. Hallelujah. Go with me over to Acts chapter, uh, excuse me, uh, go to, to Luke. Before we do that, go to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to read from verse 41 through 44. Now, this is kind of a heavy passage. So I'm not going to comment on all of it. I just want to get down to the last 
uh, part of verse 44, but to set the context, to start in verse 41. Now, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city, talking about Jerusalem. He saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from you. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Well, you know, if you stop right there, if you, if you are familiar with the history, Bible history, you know that this literally took place in 70 A.D., The Roman government came in and completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took it completely apart. Every stone, the historians tell us that they actually set the temple on fire, not thinking, you know, ahead. They they torched the temple and all the gold that was in the temple melted. And it melted and ran into the cracks, you know, into the mortar seams of the bricks. Well, they realized what they had done. After they'd burned it, they came in and knocked it down. And they literally took every brick apart to scrape all the gold out. So what Jesus said came to pass literally. Not one stone left upon another. But notice the last part of this verse. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. There are times of visitation. I said there are times of visitation. There are times of revival. There are times of restoration. And you can miss it. I said you could miss it. I said you could miss it. I could miss it. They missed it. He said, you, he told them, you did not know the time of your visitation. He said it weeping. He said it with tears flowing from his eyes. It says he wept when he saw Jerusalem. And it wasn't, it wasn't just the destruction of the city that he was weeping over. He was weeping over the fact that they didn't know the time of their visitation. God was visiting his people. Few people knew. A handful of people knew, but that was all. By and large, the nation of Israel missed it. He said in verse 42, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. If you had known, especially in this day, your day. Church, listen, don't, don't, don't miss the visitation. Don't miss it. Don't come to church and, and just be satisfied with, with your ordinary life in God. Don't, be, don't, don't just be satisfied with having a, you know, a good Christian experience but no fire in your life. No real hunger for God. You can, you can be, listen, revival is, is, is spreading and God has given this church an assignment. 
God has given this church an assignment to herald and to pray revival, to tell other people about it and to, and to help pray it through. But even while this is going on, there were people in Jesus' day who got it, but there were people who sat right there and didn't get it. And they missed it. Their lives were eternally diminished. It affected their whole destiny because they missed it. They just didn't know what God was doing. Like I said, don't, don't, don't stay in our church. Don't come to impact and not be moved. Don't come to impact and not stir yourself up. Don't come, don't come to this church and just, just be like you've always been. Stir yourself up so that you not miss it. Hallelujah. Whether you realize it or not, you have to have revival. The thing, about, think, the thing about revival is the folks who tend to need it the most have the least appetite for it. The people who, who stand to benefit the most, let me put it that way. It's not a condemning word I'm giving you. But the people who stand to benefit the most, very often it, it just doesn't make sense to them. They don't see it. They don't see it. We've, we've been in revival now for a year, a little over a year. If it hasn't changed your life, then, then you're not in revival. Revival changes you, changes your habits changes your desires it changes it changes the things that interest you it changes what you think about what you plan on don't miss it don't miss it i beg of you don't miss it oh dear lord hallelujah isaiah 44:3 says i will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. One of the most valuable things you'll ever experience in life is hunger and thirst for God. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst because they will be filled. The most precious thing that can ever happen to you is when you become aware that there is so much more of God, so much, not just of his blessing, it includes his blessing, but there's just so much more of his person, of just fellowshipping with him, so much more to know, so much more to experience. There's, 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 it's one of the most blessed things in life to understand that there's so much more and have the hunger for that begin to stir up on the, it. It gnaws on you on the inside. You're just not satisfied because you know that, that there's another place, a closer place. 
There's a closer place. Word of faith people don't like to hear that. Word of faith people tend to be real arrogant. Well, I'm, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I've got the word of God, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, he lives in me, I live in him. You, know, you start quoting who we are in Christ and, it can, and, and if you're not careful, it can create an arrogance. All of those things are true. But James said, draw near. He said, the Lord said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Well, if, if, if I can draw near to him and he can draw near, near to me, then there must be room for movement. There must be room for me to get closer. Hunger. Oh, hallelujah. I know in my life, this past year, I've had to continually stir myself up. Just continually stir myself up. Spend extra time in prayer. Because the things of this life are so demanding. So much demand on our time. And I find myself, if I'm not careful, I find myself being more interested in, in, in my case... It's being more interested in the mechanics, you know, the everyday aspects of ministry. Whatever your career might be, it'd be the same thing. Or whatever your natural life is. But, but when, you, when you are really awakened, when the Spirit of God, when you, you say, well, I don't feel it, get in the presence of God. Get in the presence of God long enough that the Spirit of God can begin to stir you on the inside. You stir yourself up by staying in, just by spending time with him, just being determined. But if you'll do that, he'll begin to work on the inside of you. He'll begin to stir you up on the inside. You can come to the place where the things of God are just, they're, they're more precious than anything. They're more precious than anything. They're more precious than breath. They're more precious than life. They mean more to you than anything. You've just got to have all that God has. It's like finding, I've talked to you about that before. It's like finding that vein of gold. You know, if you you remember in the old days, you know, in the gold rush, the people went out west, you know, and, and they were searching for gold and they would dig and dig and they'd find a vein. And once they found that, all they found was maybe a nugget, but they realized there's gold here. And I tell you what, they didn't sleep anymore. They, 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 they missed food. They missed life. They, they put everything else aside. They spent their lives, their whole energy, every day, every waking minute. It was about fighting. It was about digging that gold out. They, had, they knew there was a vein of gold in there that would change their life. And, and they became more hungry for it and more, and more passionate about it than life. That's what revival does to you. It's a, it, makes you more, it makes you want God more than anything. What do you, what is your desire in life? What do you spend your time thinking about? What are the things that you pursue? Is it just, listen, there's a natural life. But if that's first... If, if, you, if you think about your, your life and the things that interest you, if it's natural things first, they're out of, that's out of order. That's out of order. 
Oh, get to the place where every day is, it's about spending time in his presence. Knowing him and, and yielding to his plan for your life. Some people go 20 years and, and they just feel like, well, I'm obeying God. I go to a church, you know, I've got my family in church and, you know, I, I, I live a good life and people know I'm a Christian and, and, uh, and, and that's about the extent of, of their perception of what God wants from them. God, God wants so much for you. Do you hunger for his will above everything else? Well, hallelujah. Glory to God. When you do that, I've I've noticed that the hungry I'm hungrier if that's a word the more hungry I am for God that it actually gives me a great freedom to do some things just natural things they get in the right place and then I enjoy those things so much more. Because they're, they're, they're in the right order. And they don't have a hold on me. So we spend so much of our energy pursuing natural things and, and are never satisfied. They don't satisfy. You, you continually want more and to do more and to do it differently and have another... And, and there's a... There's a uh, uh, and sort of a uh, an inherent striving because it's you're never able to fully hold on, lay hold of it. But I found when I lay hold of God, oh, when He's laid hold of me, and He's my first desire, and and, and the things of His presence and worshiping Him and and fellowshipping with Him and and submitting myself, submitting. Oh, there's a wonder. There's a wonderful thing called submission to the will of God. Oh, when your life is fully submitted, when your life is fully yielded to God, it, it, God washes through you when you're yielded to him in such a refreshing that then when, when uh, there's a, a, an opportunity for a natural thing, it's just joy. There's no, there's no conflict in it. Put God first. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. There's a harvest to be reaped before Jesus comes. Go with me to James. James, the fifth chapter. Hallelujah. James chapter five. Like I said, these are verses that you're familiar with. But familiarity does, isn't the same as obedience. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. James chapter 5. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits 
for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Church, the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. We're very close. Establish your natural lives. Establish earthly things. No, establish your hearts. What are your heart? What is your heart established in? What's it established in? He said, establish your heart. See how the, how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Of course, we understand that the, that the reference there is obviously the Lord is waiting for the precious. He's the farmer who's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. That's the analogy, you could say. And uh, it's precious, the fruit of the earth, that's talking about the harvest. Why do, you think, why do you think God is waiting? He's waiting for the harvest. That's what he's waiting for. Listen, God is fully aware the track this world is on. He's fully aware of that. He knows this world is growing darker and darker. Jesus said that lawlessness would increase, that the love of many would wax cold, that that, uh, uh, men would be despisers of what is good and so forth. God's the one that said that. God is fully aware that every day, the, the, the click of the clock, the tick of the clock, every day ungodliness is increasing. Men are growing. Can you see that in the world? Men are growing darker. God sees that. Well, what's he waiting on? He's waiting for fruit. He's waiting for that harvest. The precious fruit. There's, if just the fact that he's waiting in the face of such, uh, such decline in the world, you don't have to look around very far. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have, everywhere you see, everywhere you look, you see darkness and depravity, brutality, terrorism. I mean, the, the ugliest and most despicable manifestations of, of depravity are, are growing and people have their eyes closed. They're, they're actually going along with it. They're actually protecting it. They're, actu- they're, actually, they're actually defending it. And you think, what in the world is going on? For God to wait in the face of all of that tells me there must be something really precious. There must be something worth waiting on. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. But... The precious fruit of the earth doesn't come in without rain. 
doesn't come in without rain. All through the Bible, you don't even have to know any much about the Bible to acknowledge that all through the Bible, the rain is a type of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Water is a type of the Spirit, and the rain is a type of the outpouring of the Spirit. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, but notice, he's waiting until it receives the early and the latter rain. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. See, hunger for revival in your life includes a hunger for God to pour his spirit out. It includes, you're not just hungry for yourself, you're hungry for God to move in this world. And and again, if anything he's gonna do in the world, he has to do through the church. See, the church, the church gets revived. The world gets reborn. Sinners don't get revived. You'd have to be vived before you could get revived. Isn't that right? I mean, somebody that's dead in trespasses and sin don't need reviving. They need new birth. Isn't that right? The church gets revived. These outpourings of the Spirit are sent to revive the church. Would the, would the 3,000 have come in on the day of Pentecost had it not been for what happened on Pentecost? Would there, would, would, would there have been that big uh, uh, harvest, that precious fruit of the earth? Would it have come in if, if there had not been an outpouring of the Spirit in the church? No. Would, would the 5,000 who got saved in Acts chapter uh, 3, I think it was Acts 3 or 4, uh, would they have come in if it wasn't for the outpouring of the Spirit, the signs and the wonders? No. It goes on and talks about multitudes were added to the earth. Were they added to the church without revival? No, they were added because the Spirit was flowing. The church was moving in the power of God. We must have the power of God in demonstration. And it comes as a result of being hungry for it. Not being nonchalant. Being hungry is not the same thing as agreeing. Being in agreement is not being hungry. Being in agreement is not being hungry. I've said it over and over and over and I'm gonna keep on saying it. You, just like Ananias and Sapphira sat right there in, in the, in the, in the uh, uh, fifth chapter of Acts, they sat right there and missed what God was doing and they weren't somewhere else now, now, we know that on the day of Pentecost, there was 100, about 120. But it says that in the, in the 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead until he went into heaven, it says that at one time, on one occasion, he appeared to other, over 500. But on the day of Pentecost, there's only 120 there. So there were some people that weren't there. But Ananias and Sapphira don't have that excuse. Actually, there's no excuse for not being there. Can you imagine how stupid you felt? I can tell you what. The people who weren't present on the day of Pentecost, there's a good chance they heard about what happened and thought, that's ridiculous. 
here we are, you know, Jesus has just ascended into heaven 10 days ago. And we're trying to get Christianity off the ground. And now, you know, they got 120 people over there in, the, in that prayer meeting, that little prayer meeting. And they're acting so crazy that, that, that all of Jerusalem and people together from all these other nations are outwardly, openly mocking them. We don't need any of that. We're trying to make Christianity a success. Listen, that's the way the natural mind thinks. When you're not in revival, you think revival is stupid. You can yeah. But Ananias and Sapphira were in the middle of it. When people were selling extra properties they had and, and bringing the proceeds to the Lord, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, you remember, and, and they kept back part of it and they tried to deceive Peter and, and present what they had as if they had given everything that had come in for that property. Peter said, why have you conspired together to tempt the Lord? You've not lied to me. You've lied to God. And you know what happened to them. They fell down dead. But the point is, they weren't somewhere else. They were attending the services. You know, where God was moving, there was a move. God was moving in this, in this business of, of selling extra properties and, and giving the proceeds. That was, a, that was a move of God. It was something the Holy Ghost was doing. And they were in the middle of it because they wanted to get involved. But their heart wasn't right. They were there, but they weren't in revival. Amen. You know, I told you once about my former pastor, he was a he was a Ramagrad, great man. I mean, a wonderful man. He was a tremendous blessing to my wife and me. Uh, in the early days of our ministry, you know, encouraging us to go to Rama and so forth. And but over the years, some things happened in his life, and some of it was his fault. Some of it was not fully his fault, but some things happened, and he he kind of got out of fellowship with Rama, and no longer was familiar with what uh, was going on in Brother Hagin's ministry. And back in the, in the late 90s, there was a Holy Ghost meeting up in St. Louis. And it was televised. Now, I'm not a big advocate for putting everything on TV. But it was televised, and there were, there were certain demonstrations of the Spirit. Laughter and, and people falling down and running and shouting and, and just a lot of hilarity, you know. People on the day of Pentecost, they said, you, these people are drunk. They were mocking them. Well, this was televised on TV. And a short time after that, I was talking to my former pastor. And he said, ah, he said, I saw what happened on TV. He didn't know I, had, I was there. I, had been, I was in those meetings. And, uh, but he brought it up and he said, yeah, he said, I, Brother Hagen, he said, they televised one of his meetings from, from uh, up in St. Louis and dear God, he said, that wasn't the Holy Ghost. He said, all of that foolishness going on, that wasn't the Spirit of God. He told me that. He said, Brother Hagen, he wasn't yielding to the Spirit. He was yielding to a, to a wrong spirit. He said, all of that crazy stuff that went on, he said, and he told me that. He said, dear God, Edwin, he said, you know, we're Pentecostal. We're trying, we're trying to get the message out and they're making a mockery. And people are mocking. He said, we don't need that. That's not helping. You know what, when he's, I didn't correct him because he was my pastor. But you know what I thought when he said that? I thought, what would you have said 
If you weren't there on the day of Pentecost, you were one of the 500. I guarantee you there were some people that thought the same thing. Yeah, we heard about what happened down there in that upper room. Dear Lord, stay away from that. See, if, if if you're not revived, if you're not yielded to the Spirit of God, when God starts moving, the devil will tell you some stuff. He'll say, nah, you don't want to be involved in that. Tell you. Now, we judge everything by the word of God. But if it's consistent with the word, amen. See, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand up. Glory to God. There's more, but... I mean, I could say more, but I've said enough. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. He said he would, and I'm thirsty, he would pour water upon him who's thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Stir yourself up to hunger after God. How can you tell How can you tell? Is there a benchmark? Is there an indicator? How can you tell if you're in revival? How can you tell if it's really impacting you? It's a real good, easy way. Is it changing your life? Is it changing your life? Is it changing what's important to you? If you can be satisfied believing the gospel, doing your best to live a godly life, to be an example to people around you on the job and to your family, and to come to church, and lift your hands, praise God, and hear a good word. If you're satisfied with that, you, you need a change. I said you need a change. Amen. Oh, glory to God. You can come to the place where your your whole life, your whole life, just revolves around. The presence of God. Doesn't mean that you can't go to work (laughs) and people think you're crazy. It doesn't mean that. It just means that, that there's always something. There's always something. You're conscious of it. See, if you're not conscious of it, then then you're not there yet. But you can get to the place where you're just conscious all the time. Just a prayer. Just a prayer, just prayer stirring on the inside of you, fellowshipping, and every opportunity you have just for a few minutes at a time. You want to get alone with the Lord. Oh, glory to God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't miss this time of visitation. Don't miss it. You can sit right here in this church or any other church and miss it. Don't miss it. 
Don't miss it. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. I love you. I love you and I want to see you just soaked in the glory of God. Just saturated with the glory of God. Hallelujah. Because I know the transformation that, that comes into a person's life when they're just saturated with the presence of God. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands. Let's just lift our hands for a few minutes and praise Him and worship Him. Lord, we bless You. We glorify You, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You, Lord. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, take us further. Take me further. Take me further. I want to know more. I want to know you more. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. You know, you know one of my favorite scriptures. You know one of my favorite scriptures is in Philippians chapter 3. Where Paul says, I do not count myself to have laid hold of it. You know, you know that's one of my favorite scriptures. He said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That, that verse of scripture has been a driving force in my life for a number of years now. And it continues to be. That I may lay hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me. Jesus laid, of, laid hold of you for a purpose. There's a purpose. But it won't come to pass unless you lay hold of it. God can lay hold of you. Jesus has laid hold of you, but you have to respond. And you have to, on purpose, consciously, will, and have a desire to lay hold of that. Paul said that I may know him and the power of him. He said, I press on that I may know. Didn't he know him? He was the apostle Paul for crying out loud. But he said, I press on that I may know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable to his death. He said, I press on that I may lay hold of that. But in order to lay hold, you have to lay some things aside. He said that, that we're to lay, lay aside those things that, that easily beset us. Sins and things. You know, some things aren't sinful. They just don't help. Some things are sinful, are not sinful. Some things are, obviously, but some things are not sinful. They just don't add anything. And, and a lot of times there are things that aren't sinful, but they can still take away from me in my, in my life. 
We don't, we don't try to tell you what those things are. That's between you and the Lord. But I guarantee you there are some things in everybody's life that we have, every one of us have to lay, lay turn loose of some things. Lay us some things as everybody does. In order to lay hold of, of what God has you, has for you, and for what he's laid a hold of you to accomplish, you'll have to turn loose of some other things. But the things that are left, oh, how wonderful. How wonderful. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I don't want to preach my message again, but glory to God. We honor you today. We honor you. We honor you, Lord, with our hearts. Glory to God. Do a work in my life. Do a greater work in my life. Glory to God. That I, may know, that I may know you, that I may lay hold of those things for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Hallelujah. May that be everyone's prayer today, Father. And I lay, lay aside every weight, everything that would hinder, everything that would weight me down, I will lay it aside that I might run my race with that patience that James was talking about until the coming of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for it, Father. Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.